heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. America is facing what may turn into a catastrophic identity crisis. Our sacred democracy, the one that our sons and daughters have fought and died for, is now at risk of being turned into something quite different from what our founding fathers envisioned. And it is up to us to either save it or lose it. Welcome to this edition of The Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman, your host today, sitting in for our favorite broadcaster, Malcolm Out Loud. When Joe Biden suddenly came from behind on the night of November 4th, 2019, and was declared the winner in the presidential election, it hardly seemed possible. Now, if you have had the opportunity to see Dinesh D'Souza's newest film, it's called 2000 Mules, you will know that it wasn't, in fact, a true conclusion of the 2019 election. It was fraud of the worst possible kind, the kind that deprived our country of the president whom a resounding majority had voted for, who was defrauded by a relentless Democrat political machine. That fraud changed the course of American history from success to failure, from achievement to collapse, from hope to despair. The Joe Biden presidency that began on the 20th of January, 2020, that presidency has been a failure from day one. The first day when he embarked on his plan to shut down American fossil fuel energy production and he deprived America of its newfound status as energy exporter to the world, procured by his predecessor, Donald Trump. When Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline on his first day in office, the project, which would have employed some 11,000 people over time, stopped dead. That oil that would have come through the XL pipeline will still come into the United States, but it will come through the more expensive and the more polluting trucks and railroad. And while Biden was canceling that and other fossil fuel projects, such as measures that would shut down coal and gas production at the same time, Biden approved the Nord Stream pipeline from Russia to Germany, and he called on OPEC and Russia to provide more oil and gas to replace our exports. Now think about that for a moment. He canceled our domestic production of heavily regulated fossil fuels in favor of far less environmentally friendly production of those fuels from Russia. And in doing that, he created a massive shortage of domestic oil and sent the price of local gasoline soaring into historically new territory. 
It also created a shortfall of gasoline that triggered the release of our strategic oil reserves. So last November, although Biden was warned that the release of oil would not have much impact on the price of gas for the American consumer, he went ahead and released the oil anyway. Of course he did. He told an uneasy America this. He said, it will take time, but before long, you should see the price of gas drop where you fill up your tank. And in the longer term, we will reduce our reliance on oil as we shift to clean energy, unquote. Good luck with that. A little time and long before in Biden's Alice of Wonderland world is nearly a year because the barrels of oil that were involved in November's announcement, they won't hit the market until mid to late December 2022. And to that, add that Wonderland illusion, the president, in a typical tone-deaf way, made his remarks just hours before he left for a Thanksgiving holiday on Nantucket off the coast of Massachusetts. Well, he doesn't have to pay those high gas prices when he travels. In the meantime, the average price for regular gasoline in the United States is approximately $4.37 per gallon, and diesel prices, which our truckers have to use, are at a record high of $5.55 per gallon. Try filling up a 1,000-gallon tank with that and then having to do that several times when you drive across the country. So does President Biden take responsibility for any of this? No, not really. President Biden puts the blame squarely on Putin, the Ukraine war, corporate greed, and COVID-19. But that wasn't Biden's only failure. He failed again in August 2021, when he precipitously withdrew our troops from Afghanistan, leaving as many as 15,000 Americans behind with thousands more of our Afghan allies. He left them to the brutality of the Taliban, who took over the country and targeted every American and every Afghan ally that they could find with humiliation, torture, and death. There are many theories abounding in intelligence and political circles about why Biden was so determined to make sure that our troops would be out of Afghanistan by August 31st, 2021. What was the reason? Why was he so intent on keeping to that deadline that he made? Well, one of the theories is that China, which secretly participated in the Taliban takeover, paid Biden Inc., the family fortune mill, some $50 million to ensure that the final evacuation would take place no later than August 31st, a date which became fixed in Biden's agenda and immovable despite the obvious logistical issues and all of the requests for him to hold off and make sure that all the pieces were in place before we pulled out. Well, it's just a rumor, but it sure makes sense. Joe Biden also failed when he stopped the construction of the border wall immediately after taking office, 
and then invited millions of illegal migrants to swarm our southern border and enter our country, bringing with them COVID and a host of other diseases that we haven't seen here for many, many years, and a flood of lethal drugs like fentanyl. Since the beginning of Biden's presidency, more than 80,000 people between the ages of 18 and 45 died of fentanyl overdoses. Compare that to the 53,000 COVID-19 deaths among Americans between the ages of 18 and 49. And he didn't only invite them in, he shuttled them to cities that didn't even know they were coming, cities around the country in the middle of the night. Did Biden know all the details of this enormous betrayal of the American people? Probably not. But the buck stops with him, remember? Whether he likes it or not, he's the president. Biden also failed when, beginning right after he became president, he began signing executive orders that altered every aspect of American life and led to a massive inflation, which today is over 8.3%. That's the highest rate of inflation since 1973, 40 years ago. And he blamed it all on the same bad actors, Putin, the Ukraine war, corporate greed, Republicans, COVID, and Donald Trump. And although he claims that lowering inflation is his top economic priority, in quotes, he is doing virtually nothing to stop it. It seems that our president is not responsible for anything bad that happens, not for misjudging Russian intent in Ukraine while the rest of us were sure Russia would invade, not for dragging his feet and helping Ukraine as thousands of people were fleeing for their lives and thousands more were being killed by Russian missiles, and not for the inflation caused by his party's reckless spending for favorite projects masked as infrastructure and COVID release, and he's not responsible for the disaster in the Afghanistan evacuation and the deaths of so many Americans he left behind, and he's not responsible for the dramatic increase in crime and the epidemic of fentanyl deaths because of the swarm of illegal immigrants associated with drug cartels and smuggling gangs who bring in huge quantities of the deadly drug. You know, one of Biden's most stunning but anticipated failure was his reversal of the highly successful Trump policies and programs, including the completion of the wall on our southern border, and his halting of that project triggered the massive flood of illegal immigration. He failed with the mismanagement of Trump's successful program to fight COVID-19, and his failure resulted in draconian restrictions for Americans who just wanted to get through it, and the unconstitutional ordering of vaccine mandates that resulted in the resignation or firing of police officers, firefighters, teachers, personnel in the armed forces, and healthcare workers. And finally, at least for now, was the failure of his Build Back Better program that failed to pass in Congress. But President Biden is not responsible for anything bad. Here's what he claims responsibility for. Biden took credit for the millions of jobs that he says he created and for the strong GDP growth, which he said was spurred by the American Rescue Plan. He said 
it didn't cause inflation. What he failed to mention was that the free cash that he and his Democrat party so liberally doled out made many American workers rethink the idea of going back to work. And he created a shortage of workers, nurses, tradesmen, drivers, teachers, and other essential workers who chose to do other things rather than go back to their jobs. And now that inflation is on a tear, there are still companies that have had to close their doors because they just don't have the workers they need to stay open. Still, he said, quote, I want every American to know that I'm taking inflation very seriously and it is my top domestic priority, unquote. But the reality is that he doesn't seem to have any idea how to go about it. Words are cheap, but getting the job done is something else entirely. In a recent press conference, he was asked when he thought the prices would begin to come down. And he said, quote, I'm not going to predict. It ranges depending on which economist you're talking to by the end of this year. And some say it's going to be, it's going to increase next year. But there's others who say by the end of this year, you're going to see it come down by the calendar year. I don't know but I know what we have to do to make sure that we can bring it down, unquote. Well, if you understood all that, I hope you'll explain it to me. Uh, I don't understand it. I, I doubt that he did. The thing is, he says he knows what has to be done in order to bring inflation down. Only he doesn't. At least he can't articulate it. And he has shown no signs of being able to wrap his head around a solution. The reality is that before he became president, the economy was booming. Employment was at its highest in decades. Unemployment, particularly among Latinos, African Americans, and women, was at its lowest. Industry was returning from overseas and manufacturing was coming back to America, something Barack Obama said could never happen. The fall of the American economy began on January 20th, 2021, the day Joe Biden became president, and it's gone downhill since then. If you have an opportunity to see Dinesh D'Souza's film, 2,000 Mules, do it. It explains a lot, it proves a lot, and it should empower us all to make sure it doesn't happen again. Our elections have consequences, and as we can plainly see as America faces the real threat of sliding rapidly into becoming a third world country. Rampant crime on our streets, random shootings, taking the lives of children and the elderly, and spreading from Chicago to Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, to smaller cities like Des Moines, Iowa, and Springfield, Massachusetts. Huge numbers of homeless people are living on the sidewalks of once affluent neighborhoods in places like New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. And all signs indicate that the riots that broke out in the summer of 2019 are likely to begin again in the summer of 2022. 
The demonstrations in front of the homes of Supreme Court justices in Virginia and Maryland are still going on more than a week after the release of a secret draft of the Roe v. Wade decision that is coming up to be announced this June. The leaking of the draft was the trigger for these new demonstrations. And although the violence so far has been in, in the vile language that these terribly uncouth and ill-mannered demonstrators are shouting in front of the justices' homes, but they spell a much more dangerous trend. They represent a vocal, activist part of the American population that neither understands nor honors the protections of either the Constitution or federal law that prohibits such demonstrations. But they believe they have the right and maybe the duty to harass and threaten the justices in their homes to make them change their opinion because these demonstrators don't agree with the anticipated outcome of the judicial process. You know, it's a shame to have to say this, but it seems that it is increasingly difficult to have civil conversations with the people who disagree with us. Now we're going to get into this situation in much more detail right after the break, and I'll uncover the law that forbids what the Democrats are allowing. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud, and you're listening to The Voice of a Nation on the America Out Loud Network. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on the precautions, but deep down, you still want to avoid getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray. Made in the USA, Cofix RX reduces viral loads and minimizes the risk of you getting sick. Find a retailer near you or click our banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years. Brush, floss, repeat. We're told to use fluoride, which doesn't really address the acid-creating bacteria. That is where the dentist-recommended Spry Dental Defense System shines. Spry products contain xylitol, a natural sugar, which helps get rid of those nasty, smelly, acid-creating bacteria in our mouth. The best way to care for your teeth and gums is by using Spry. The Spry Dental Defense System has a wide variety of products, toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and chewing gums that are designed to work together to keep your teeth clean and mouth healthy and smelling sweet all day long. To get your oral care back on track in an easy, effective, and very tasty way, switch to Spry today. Ask your dentist about Xylitol and the Spry products. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural product retailers. Welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in today for Malcolm Out Loud. Before the break, we were talking about the demonstrations and harassment of the conservative justices of the Supreme Court. And we were talking about the demonstrators themselves and the seeming lack of concern which they have for the laws that govern the rest of us. 
The well-organized division of authority that was devised by our founding fathers in Philadelphia 246 years ago seems to mean nothing to them. They seem to believe that mob power is more important than any other authority and that the First Amendment means that they can say anything they want in any way they want to anyone they want, regardless of the law. But federal law 18 U.S. Code 1507 says this, quote, Whoever, with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duties, pickets, parades in or near a building housing a court of the United States, or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge, juror, witness, or court officer, or with such intent uses any sound truck or similar device or resorts to any other demonstration in or near any such building or residence shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both. That's pretty clear, don't you think? Not open to debate, and yet, to date, no one has been arrested and the demonstrations are still going on. They are clearly being carried out with the intent of influencing the decision of the justices who are being harassed. And the Department of Justice has made no comment about the continued protests. The demonstrators were put on notice on May 9th that their actions might be guilty of an infraction similar to one with which some of the January 6th demonstrators were arrested. But as of May 12th, no protesters have been charged. They haven't been apprehended and they haven't been arrested, even though nearly 50 House Republicans pressed Attorney General Merrick Garland to prosecute the protesters. He has remained silent, even though only a few months ago, he instructed the FBI to look into the activity of parents who challenged school board members. Do you remember that? This is different from the infractions that these demonstrators in Maryland and Virginia are, what they're doing and what they're facing in terms of legal ramifications, but nothing has happened to them. However, when Garland referred to the parents in Virginia, he said then, quote, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's values, unquote. And now he's silent in the face of a flagrant defiance of federal law. Very interesting, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Imagine if you had been a Supreme Court justice and were facing this harassment. Now, the White House, on the other hand, has been very vocal on the subject in favor of the demonstrators. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki said, quote, we believe, of course, in peaceful protest. Really? Okay, the hypocrisy on the left is mind-boggling. A warning went out shortly after the draft decision was leaked. 
that law enforcement was preparing to deal with the violent right-wing radicals attacking the left. Really? There was no pro-life violence, and demonstrations were few and small, and there was no threat of violence anywhere. It was the activists on the left who have been on the streets and harassing conservative justices. This is projection at its worst, and Democrats use it all the time. It was only a little more than a year ago when January 6th demonstrators were called insurrectionists and jailed under horrible conditions and without many of their basic rights. And many of them are still in jail 17 months later, still awaiting trial. What about the right guaranteed in the Sixth Amendment that, quote, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury, unquote. A speedy trial, an impartial jury? After 17 months, the trials have not yet begun, and the victims of this Democrat tyranny are still languishing in jail, while Democrat demonstrators flagrantly flaunt federal law without consequence. And the White House supports these demonstrations. But how about believing in the rule of law? The president strongly believes in the constitutional right to protest. That's what White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki tweeted. Quote, but that should never include violence, threats, or vandalism. Judges perform an incredibly important function in our society, she said, and they must be able to do their jobs without concern for their personal safety, unquote. The president himself was very clear. Through his press secretary, he said, quote, I know there's an outrage right now, I guess, about protests that have been peaceful to date. And we certainly do continue to encourage that outside judge's home. And that's the president's position, unquote. And she went further. Quote, violence, threats, and intimidation have no place in political discourse. Yes, we are a country that promotes democracy and certainly allow for peaceful protests in a range of places across the country. None of it should violate the law, unquote. Is she kidding? She just said that those noisy demonstrators shouting vile language in front of the homes of conservative Supreme Court justices were okay. But she also said none of it should violate the law. But they are all against the law. Everything they're doing is against the law. So like her boss, she contradicts herself and can reasonably be accused of lying. This kind of disregard for the law needs to be stopped in its tracks because if not, it will spread. Only a few days ago, the Wisconsin Family Action Headquarters, which is a pro-life group, suffered fire damage from someone who threw a Molotov cocktail inside the building. And although minor damage was done, it was a sign, not unexpected, that other pro-choice actors in other parts of the country would pick up the message, the message is they will not be prosecuted, and make their own message heard. Did you watch the president's speech the other day? He blatantly lied when he told Americans that the Republicans' main goals 
were to raise taxes and to lower the standard of living on the middle class and the poor. The Democrats have been guilty for a long time of what we call projection. When another person blames someone for what he himself has done, that's projection. It is the Democrats who want to raise taxes, as he, Joe Biden, has said many times. It is the Democrats whose policy have demonstrably lowered the standard of living in the middle class and the poor, as they are doing now. The hypocrisy is overwhelming and overwhelmingly obvious, and yet they continually deny it. You can't make this stuff up, but it's really difficult to believe that intelligent people can practice such obvious deception, such hypocrisy, and believe they can get away with it over and over again, and be believed even when they are denying what has been recorded for posterity. You know, on another subject, there is a phenomenon that is growing around the country, and it bothers me more than a little. Okay, I'll be frank. It infuriates me, because in my book, this is a crime, and it's a crime against children. It began a few decades ago when teachers began telling children that it was harmful to have to compete with their classmates. So every child got a prize just for participating in something, and every child won. No more competition, no more winners and losers, no more unhappy children because they didn't get the prize, and so forth. But here's the thing. This was considered kind to the children's sensitive natures because no one ever suffered defeat. You know, when I was a kid, I can remember that I was never athletic and I never won any competition on the playground. But I won spelling bees and I once won a prize for a picture that I drew that made its way onto the Christmas pageant's program cover. I was an ordinary kid, maybe a little quieter than most, but, you know, I had strong points and I had weak points. And the point is, every child has strong points and weak points. And so do we adults. So when children are able to sort through the issues and find out where they fit into the scheme of things, they can be comfortable finding their niche. They can compete without being destroyed by what someone else, a grown-up no doubt, considers failure. Now, I'm not talking about bullying or about the impact of bullying on sensitive souls. That's another conversation. My point is that if children are not allowed to compete, if they are not allowed to lose as well as win, how will they ever learn about the real world and how to deal with the real world when they grow up? Their things are, more often than not, not fair. When losing is a part of living, when they do not get the job they want or the raise or the life partner, they will not know how to accept defeat and sometimes personal failure without wanting to take revenge on the world. Instead of being able to absorb the blows, the blows will make them angry or helpless or in one way or another, unable to cope. When we look at the crime wave that is sweeping the country today 
at the random and wanton violence against others, it is easy to blame it all on COVID, on the lockdowns. And I'm sure that that's a big part of it. But maybe we should also look at the source, at what we have done to our children when we didn't let them lose, when we didn't teach them that life is not always fair, that we do not always win, and that just showing up is often not enough to get what we want or what we need. Just look at what we've done. First, we taught our kids that just showing up was enough. And then we showed them that they were entitled to things they didn't earn. Those little prizes that we gave them just for showing up turned into things like Nike sneakers and designer jeans. They were entitled to that, even though they didn't deserve them and they didn't earn them. And then we said it was okay for them to need safe spaces. And black students needed to segregate themselves from the white students on purpose because of race. That was also okay. We were the ones who gave in to what we should have intuitively known was wrong. But the woke among us were convinced that this was not only the right thing to do, but that these students were entitled to it. And then it was critical race theory, adopted by some black and some white Americans alike, uber-liberal Americans. This theory espoused the idea that American history, as we have been taught, is white history, and it needs to be rewritten. So they teach our kids that white skin is privileged and that black Americans are victims, that black Americans are entitled to reparations because their great-grandparents were slaves, and that white Americans are somehow less than Americans of color. Their entire world in America has become defined by race. And because they feel like victims, they also feel entitled. And then it went even beyond race when it became fashionable among super liberal teachers to identify little children who had what is now widely called gender dysphoria, children who show signs of liking to do what children of the other gender do. So the teachers begin to groom them to understand that they have a choice about what gender they can choose to be. And they start with children as young as five. I'm glad I live in a state that has outlawed the teaching of critical race theory in our schools and that doesn't allow the grooming of young children by woke teachers. I'm glad that parents in Virginia have begun to fight back against school boards who are so woke that they rejected their parents' interest in their own children's education. Imagine that. There's a lot to this story about Virginia parents. Imagine if you were a parent and your child's teacher said to you that you have no right to participate in the education that your child was receiving and you didn't even have a right to know what your children were being taught. These teachers were so woke that they completely rejected the parents' right to show interest in their children's education. They approved the teaching of critical race theory and they acknowledged at some point that they allowed critical race theory to influence the way they taught the children. They approved a transgender policy that allowed transgender girls into the girls' bathrooms where one girl was raped. 
And when her father attended a meeting to raise the issue and protest, he was escorted from the room by police. They also approved the policy that because children are being taught things that parents might not approve of, they therefore advised the children not to tell their parents about it. Well, these parents have fought back and their school boards have branded them as terrorists because they objected to their policies on transgender students and the teaching of critical race theory. It used to be, you know, that parents would stand up for teachers and teach their children that the teacher was usually right. I know my parents did, and maybe yours did too, but those days are gone, at least for now, because we have found, to our horror, I think, that teachers cannot be trusted when they teach our children things we don't want them to know and tell them not to tell their parents about it. Things like how some children are somehow inferior or bad because of their white skin. Or things like how children can change their gender if they want to, even at the age of five. Or things like how American history really began in 1619 when they say the first slave arrived in America. We'll talk a lot about that right after the break. I'm Alana Friedman. Sitting in for our fearless leader, Malcolm Out Loud, who believes in free speech and walks the walk on the America Out Loud Network. You're listening to the Voice of a Nation. Now the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America Out Loud. Now we invite you, friends, to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices, it's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. 
you can be the voice of change, contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Before the break, we were talking about parents in Virginia who have begun to fight back against their school boards, who are so woke that they completely rejected the parents' right to show interest in their children's education. These school boards are elected officials, elected by the parents, by the way, who approved the teaching of critical race theory and approved a transgender policy that allowed transgender girls into the girls' bathrooms, and in one school, a girl was raped. And when her father attended a board meeting, a school board meeting, to raise the issue and to protest, he was escorted from the room by police. They also approved a policy that because children are being taught things that parents might not approve of, they therefore advise the children not to tell their parents about it. Well, these parents have fought back and their school boards branded them as terrorists because they objected to the school board's policies on transgender students and the teaching of critical race theory and so forth. We ended the last part of the show talking about the education that the kids are getting. Well, what about the education that they're not getting? When our kids were taught that American history really began in 1619, we knew that the kids were not learning history. History is not white or black, and any history that is not based on the truth isn't history at all. It's fantasy. It's fiction. And if our kids are not learning history, if they're learning this fantasy or this fiction, they're going to have a hard time when they get out into the world. Not learning history. George Santayano famously said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. But if our children are not taught real, honest history in school, where will they learn it? And if they are taught false history, then on what do they have to build their futures? Schools no longer teach the classics in literature and drama, but rather they make up new literature, new plays, new stories with socially acceptable messages. Books like Heather Has Two Mummies and The Gender Fairy and When Kathy is Keith. But they ban books like The Cat in the Hat Peter Pan and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because of real or imagined racial slurs and references. They don't teach grammar in many schools because they say it is racist and sexist, which is why we have so many supposedly educated anchors who say, she gave it to him and I instead of him and me, or nuclear instead of nuclear. And too many of our kids don't learn functional math. How many times have we seen teens in the supermarket who can't make change at the checkout? Education is not what it used to be in many of our schools. It doesn't prepare our kids for the real world, and our children are the worst for it. And speaking of made-up history, 
Here's a story that we wouldn't have believed possible only a few years ago. On April 27th, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced that the Department of Homeland Security is creating a disinformation governance board to combat misinformation, and they're doing it just before the upcoming elections. Now, let me say that again. The Biden administration is now setting up a disinformation governance board to combat misinformation. This may be the most terrifying news we have seen in a long time. Have you read George Orwell's book, 1984? He published that book about Big Brother and the Ministry of Truth in 1949. In that book, the Ministry of Truth was a branch of the government that was responsible for making propaganda, changing historical records, and creating media for education and entertainment. All media was created, changed as deemed necessary, and destroyed according to what was best for Big Brother. It was the responsibility of the Ministry of Truth to make it seem as if Big Brother is always right. Such a government agency in this country would put a pall on free speech, limitations that would put Twitter and Facebook to shame. When private companies whose web presence, which is supposed to be the champion of free speech, tells us what we can and cannot say, it's appalling. But we always have the option of not participating and posting our message elsewhere. We may not get as much exposure, the audience may be smaller, but we still have options. Now don't misunderstand me, my friends, I do not approve of censorship in most forms, except where national security is concerned. Remember, I'm an intelligence analyst and that's what I do. But in the public square of ideas, censorship is anathema. And whether it is a Facebook or Twitter or any other form of social media, if it is open to the public, then censorship should be limited to very few situations, such as terrorist postings, incitement to riot or other violence, and criminal activity. In our current divisive environment, where civil discourse is nearly a lost art, censorship is all the more hateful because when used to support only one side of the discussion, it skews the points of view so that only one side is good and the other is bad. But a ministry of truth in our federal government is an appalling turn of event. For those of us who treasure the guarantees of our freedom of expression as provided in the Constitution, my point, though, is that in our almost free society, there are still avenues for us to either ignore the censorship or combat it, just as Elon Musk is doing with his purchase of Twitter. But a disinformation governance board to combat misinformation. Wow. When the government, the federal government, which is protected by the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights in the founding documents of this country, then the foundation of American values is being attacked at its core, and accepting it is not an option. 
So let's take a look at this disinformation governance board. Even the name is daunting. And the person whom the president has appointed to head this is a woman whose name is Nina Jankowitz. She is the one who called the Hunter Biden laptop story a, quote, Trump campaign product. Wait, that was misinformation. The woman who was supposed to head the disinformation governance board is guilty of disseminating disinformation. Imagine that. Jankowitz tweeted that she was honored to be serving in the Biden administration's Department of Homeland Security and helping shape our counter-disinformation efforts, unquote. Her role will be to coordinate countering misinformation related to homeland security, unquote. So Nina Jankowitz is the disinformation expert, and she says that only, quote, verified Twitter users, like herself, no doubt, should be able to edit other users' tweets if they believe they are misleading. She said, quote, verified people can essentially start to edit Twitter in the same sort of way that Wikipedia is, so they can add context, those are her words, add context to certain tweets. In other words, a verified user should be able to edit other people's tweets in order to give them context if they consider them to be misinformation. That is just plain arrogance and ignorance wrapped up in a tight little package. A verified user apparently has to be somebody like Nina Jankowitz can edit the tweet of someone else just because they think it is misinformation. My gosh. But her appointment has not gone unnoticed. Representative Lauren Bobbert, a Republican from Colorado, introduced legislation that would terminate the board. More than 60 lawmakers have joined her in introducing the Protecting Free Speech Act. Yes, my friends, that is the way democracy is supposed to work. And let's just take a look at why this is so important. The disinformation board, that is what Mussolini attempted to do when he tried to create a program of both censorship and propaganda. His aim was to control the people of Italy nearly 90 years ago in 1933. The Nazis had their own misinformation board. They called it the Reich Ministry for Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda. Now, the Democrats in Washington have decided to make the censoring of conservatives and free speech the responsibility of the federal government, and it's a very dangerous idea. Joe Biden and his large team are feeling two things right now. On the one hand, they're watching the polls and feeling real distress as they realize how precarious their power really is. On the other hand, they still have the majority in the House and they are still very full of themselves and they can't quite grasp that their understanding of the American people is flawed and that they are actually losing a little more power every day. So, so a disinformation board is probably just the thing they think will help them 
keep their power, shape the message that will influence the American people when they go to vote. There's an old, old expression. It comes from the book of Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's hope that this is one lesson that will play out in the near future, that the pride and haughtiness of the Democrats will ultimately be what brings them down because they have moved closer and closer to embracing and imposing on the rest of us a tyranny that rejects the Constitution and the values that it represents. If we don't get our country back on track, and soon, we will lose it altogether. Now here's a quick story on propaganda. I call it First Story Out Wins. In Israel, the fight against terrorism is an ongoing battle. In just the last few weeks, just before and during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, it was a time for jihad, and 19 Israelis were murdered, including an axe murder, by Palestinian terrorists. Then on May 11th, in the West Bank town of Jenin at the UN refugee camp there, a firefight broke out between Palestinian terrorists and Israeli soldiers. As Israeli forces approached the town, they came under attack by indiscriminate fire by Palestinians from several directions. In the crossfire, veteran Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akleh, one of Al Jazeera's best-known reporters, was shot in the head and killed while she was covering the action. Her producer, Palestinian journalist Ali Samoudi, was also shot and was taken to the hospital. Al Jazeera immediately accused Israel of, quote, deliberately targeting and killing our colleague, even though it was not clear who actually fired the fatal shot. Israel's defense minister, Benny Gantz, said that they were waiting for the forensic on the bullet to come in and promised a transparent investigation. We're trying to figure out what happened, he said. I don't have final conclusions. But the Palestinians were quick to blame the Israelis for murdering Abu Akleh. This is a common practice among Palestinians, and one that I have written about many times before. No matter what the cause of the casualty, they typically announce immediately that the attack came from the Israelis, even when they know it didn't. Several years ago, for example, a bomb killed a family on a Gaza beach. It was immediately attributed to the Israeli Navy, and Hamas made the report to the media right after the explosion. In the end, the truth came out that the bomb was a mine that had been set in the sand by Hamas to deter Israeli soldiers. But the PR damage had been done. Israel was blamed then and for a long time for the murder of this family. It's what I called then and still call first story out wins. The death of Abu Akleh will long be remembered in Palestinian history and folklore as having been murdered by Israeli fire, whether it turns out to be true or not. First story out wins. Abu Akleh was buried in Jerusalem where she was born. There are no happy endings here. But there is a bit of good news before I sign off today. 
White House spokesperson Jen Psaki will be leaving her podium at the White House and her job as the face of an administration that has more chutzpah than brains. Psaki had a hard job covering up the gaffes for her boss and trying to make him look as good as she possibly could, and she rarely lost her cool. But now she is going to be gone. The mistakes that have been made by this administration in little more than a year, the disasters that it has created by its arrogance and mindlessness are things that we have talked about on this show. Jen Psaki is the one who said that Fox News reporter Peter Ducey looked like a stupid son of a bitch. Classy, no? The fact that he was the only reporter asking hard questions was apparently too much for her. So Saki will be gone, on to a gig at MSN, and she will be replaced by Karina Jean-Pierre, the first black gay woman to hold this position. The woke world never ceases to amaze. It isn't clear if she was selected because she is black or because she is gay or because she is a woman or maybe because of all three. This president makes a point of choosing people not because of their professional attributes, but because of their skin color or their gender. But I have heard Karina Jean-Pierre, and she seemed to me to be fairly competent and a good speaker. Jen Psaki will be a tough act to follow. So we'll see. We can wish her well, and we'll see what kind of a job she's able to do and if she can keep her cool. And so, my friends, we have reached the end of another hour. Stay safe and God bless. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud. You've been listening to The Voice of a Nation on the America Out Loud Network. Network.